Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. sport I have less interest in than soccer. I think I would actually like soccer a lot more if they use their hands, you know. Somehow I don't think they're going to be talked into doing that anytime soon. So they're going to have to get along without me. And that brings us to what we do here every Friday. And now it's time for the Jerk of the Week starring John Steigerwald. Well, I'm pretty sure we have a repeat winner this week, too. Megan Rapinoe is a big star for the U.S. women's national soccer team. She's also a lesbian and an activist, and the media, of course, love her. And she was, an, she was invited to the White House this week, and she said this. I've helped, along with all of my teammates uh, virtually here today, one teammate literally here today, uh, win four World Cup championships and four Olympic gold medals for the United States. And despite those wins, I've been devalued, I've been disrespected, and dismissed because I am a woman. And I've been told that I don't deserve any more than less because I am a woman. You see, despite all the wins, I'm still paid less than men who do the same job that I do. For each trophy, of which there are many, and for each win, For each tie and for each time that we play, it's less. And I know there are millions of people who are marginalized by gender in the world and experience the same thing in their jobs. Yeah. Uh, Megan thinks that the number of games and trophies her team has won has something to do with how much she gets paid. First of all, as our guest, I believe it was yesterday, pointed out, she's playing under the contract that the women's soccer team negotiated and they don't draw the crowds that the men do and they don't get anywhere near the tv ratings and that's what determines your value your overall wonderfulness and your willingness to kneel for the national anthem may get you some popularity among feminists and liberals i know the same thing uh including the media but it's not going to get you the big paycheck anyone who knows anything about uh, business and economics knows that most people are, you know, they're rooting for the women to do well. It's, it's nice when they hear that they won. Okay, that's nice. I don't root for them when they kneel for the anthem, by the way, but most people have no interest in watching them. That's a concept Megan Rapinoe can't grasp, and that's why she's this week's Windows R Us Jerk of the Week. The Jerk of the Week is brought to you by Windows R Us, Pittsburgh's premier exterior replacement company. Expert repair and replacement for windows, roofs, siding, doors, gutters, and downspouts. Why pay double? Visit WindowsRUsPittsburgh.com. And when we come back, big news from West Virginia. They've outdone the rest of the country on school choice. It's a biggie. And in our second half hour, by the way, how the media flunked on their coverage of the Big Guys press conference. Stick around. 
Some home repairs just can't wait for spring, especially a leaky roof or drafty old windows. Well, you can count on Windows R Us, the area's premier exterior replacement company. This is John Steigerwald. With over 50 years' experience in the home remodeling industry, Windows R Us offers repair and replacement for roofs, windows, gutters, and downspouts, siding, entry doors, even decks. A leaky roof left unfixed can lead to mold and mildew, so don't put it off. Right now, Windows R Us offers 12 months no interest financing and no processing fee through Dollar Bank. Get new factory direct replacement windows for your home or office. Choose from 100% vinyl, commercial, aluminum, wood, and composite. And to show their appreciation to stag fans everywhere, you'll also get 10% off your total project when you mention this show. Get 12 months, no interest, no processing fee, and 10% off. Backed by the best warranty in the industry. Schedule your free estimate and inspection today at windowsruspittsburgh.com. That's windowsruspittsburgh.com. When was the last time you watched your home movies? Do you have a VCR anymore? What about a film projector? With technology constantly changing, most families don't have a way to enjoy their recorded memories. Trapped on VHS, camcorder tapes, film reels, and photos. That's why we created Legacy Box over a decade ago. Legacy Box is an affordable mailed-in kit to have your aging media digitized to DVD, thumb drive, or the cloud. Our trained technicians digitize everything by hand right here in the U.S. Imagine being able to easily relive weddings, graduations, baby's first steps, and more. Get started future-proofing your memories today so you can gather the whole family together and begin the trip down memory lane. Plus, for a limited time, we're offering 40% off. Visit LegacyBox.com LBOX to get an exclusive 40% off. Buy today to take advantage of this incredible offer and send in when you're ready. Go to LegacyBox.com LBOX to save 40% off. LegacyBox.com LBOX. My name is Namrita Singh Gujral. I am a filmmaker and an immigrant. My film, America's Forgotten, uncovers the unintended consequences of a broken immigration system. The seven-year-old girl died in the desert. This child came from the country of India. I'm living in Tachara. I can't go to the police. I never expected this journey would lead me to a truth that I never intended to find. A great pillar of the community was killed by a man who had been deported at least twice. The public would be outraged if they knew the truth. I found how much Americans are being lied to regarding our immigration policies at the border. My friends, my industry, even my family, all rallied against the final message of this film. All credits had to be hidden for fear of retribution. If you care about the future of America, you should watch America's Forgotten. Go to SalemNow.com to buy a rent today for additional savings and a promo code FAMILY. SalemNow.com, promo code FAMILY. This is Dennis Prager along with my fellow host Mike Gallagher. We both want to invite you to join us for a trip of a lifetime to the Holy Land this October 27th to November 5th. I've been all over the world, but I can never get enough of the great state of Israel. You will be amazed and inspired in your faith. Dennis and I have planned every detail minute by minute of this trip to make sure you have the best experience possible. We're confident by October our trip will be safe, especially because Israel is the leading country in the world in COVID vaccinations. Join us as we sail on the Sea of Galilee in boats that are replicas of the ones Jesus sailed in with his disciples. Walk the steps of the old city of Jerusalem and join us for a Shabbat service that will reenact the old traditions. It's something you'll never forget. Go to Stan 
StandWithIsraelTour.com to reserve your spot or call 855-565-5519. That's StandWithIsraelTour.com. Aren't you ready to travel again? We are. So come join us. This is the John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The Answer. Now, Republicans and uh, conservatives have been talking a good game on school choice for a long time. They've done very little about it. That finally changed in West Virginia. They passed the most comprehensive school choice law probably ever this week. An organization called the Cardinal Institute for West Virginia Policy had a lot to do with it. Garrett Ballengee is that organization's executive director. He joins us now. Garrett, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, John. I'm happy to be here. So uh, before we get to how you did it, let's talk about what you got. Uh, The big news is ESAs. What's an ESA and why is this a big deal? Yes, sir. So an ESA is sort of the the latest innovation in education policy. And it's actually pretty simple. If you withdraw your child from a public school in order to try to customize that child's education, basically the state has an account funded with the state portion of that of that child's uh, funding dollars. So it's money that's already there. It's money that's essentially deposited in an account, if we want to think of it in those terms. And then the family is able to take that money and really customize their child's education experience. So if you want to send them to a private school, that money can be used for that. If you want to hire tutors, uh, engage in a learning pod, uh, purchase textbooks, um, all kinds of different activities, an ESA really allows you to do that. And so last week, West Virginia passed the most expansive program of this type in the country's history. Now, these, these, these types of policies have only been around since about 2011. West Virginia became the sixth state to have something like this. And traditionally, these have been restricted to children with special needs, for example, or low-income families or children attending failing public schools. But in West Virginia, it was opened up to 90% of students in West Virginia. So we're, we're absolutely thrilled. And what's a HOPE scholarship? So a HOPE scholarship is just an ESA. Um, And it was basically, well, frankly, we've been working on this for about five years. Um, The parents are going to have access to about $4,600 a year should they withdraw their child from a public school or if their child is of age of entering kindergarten. And they can spend that $4,600 however they want to, as long as it's on an education expense. Now, the treasurer's office in West Virginia is working on what those expenses will look like. But in the legislation itself, it it was, again, something like private tuition, homeschooling expenses, testing, textbooks, uh, education therapies if your child has special needs. So, again, it's really focused on customizing the education experience for a child because I think we've all learned, especially in light of COVID, Different children need different things, even in the same household. And so the HOPE Scholarship or ESAs are really the best vehicle to uh, kind of act on that fact. Yeah, and um, the, the, it's $4,600. You, you can't go to the public school and also collect the check, correct? No. Um, although in our legislation, it was actually written such that if, let's say, for example, your local public school has a fantastic chemistry teacher um, and, you know, you really want to be able to access that chemistry teacher, it's written in our legislation that the, the public schools are going to be required to basically come up with a pricing list so that children in the ESAs can purchase 
a course from the public school. So it really is kind of revolutionary to some extent in the flexibility it's going to give these Hope Scholarship recipients. Well, that's great. So if I got my 4,600, but I kind of like the chemistry teacher, I can take a portion of that and pay the school uh, for my kid to show up for that chemistry class? Exactly, and then turn right around and spend some of that money on a chemistry tutor. Let's say your child absolutely loves chemistry, but loves chemistry, but for whatever reason doesn't thrive in a public school environment. You can withdraw that child, use some of the money to purchase those classes, and then turn right around and hire online tutoring. Um, and, and really, we do this in sort of every other aspect of our lives apart from K-12 education. And so really what ESAs or the Hope Scholarship at West Virginia are trying to do is kind of orient our education system around the child instead of around a system or a building. What a concept. Gary, Garrett, this stuff all makes way too much sense. There's something needs to be done. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's, <laughs> well, it's, I, it's, go ahead. I'll tell you, John, it's been an absolute slog over the last four or five years. Um, West Virginia was really one of the last states to get any form of school choice, let alone something this innovative. We didn't even have charter schools, John, until 2019, 30 years after some states have already had them. Um, and to go from sort of that position compared to the 49 other states to now the most expansive private school choice program in the country is really unbelievable. Yeah, and you're getting a lot of attention if, uh, on this from around the country. I saw that uh, uh, someone from... I don't know from your organization uh, or someone uh, from West Virginia appeared on Fox News uh, this morning, from Fox and Friends this morning. Uh, you guys yes, are getting publicity Rucker, for this. Yeah, yeah yes, that's I mean, uh, it's, she... it's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a real yeah, big it's deal. It's a really big deal. That was Senator Rucker uh, this morning who was, who's been just an absolute school choice champion in West Virginia. She herself has a unique story. She came from Venezuela, kind of the, the socialist Venezuelan economy. She understands kind of the perils of, of big government and centralization, if you will. And she's been an absolute fighter for kids in West Virginia. Um, and I was so happy that she was able to tell her story to a national audience. Um, but I really think this is the future of education, not just in West Virginia, but hopefully in 49 other states. And I'll just echo the point that I made earlier, which is we need to really begin orienting the K-12 education system across the country, not around buildings, not around systems, not around adults, but around kids and ESAs and HOPE scholarships really facilitate that. And there are there are uh, lots of states trying this, uh, taking that exact approach where they're, they're passing. Uh, they, they haven't necessarily been made law yet. I think the guy in Kentucky, I think it's in Kentucky, has um, vetoed it, but it's the same concept in a lot of other states where you no longer fund the institution. You fund, you give the money to the parents, and they get to decide where that money is spent. Yes, absolutely. Um, as I said, only six states have ESAs at this point, but this year, especially coming out of COVID and, and what we've all seen around education yeah. in light of in light of that pandemic, I think two or three dozen states have introduced some form of school choice. And so that's extremely encouraging, and I hope that we continue to see that in the future. Frankly, I would love uh, for every state in the country to have this sort of this sort of concept, because really, if you think about it, there's no single institution that has a greater incentive that a child receives a good and proper education than that of the family. And the sooner that we recognize that, the sooner I think our country is going to be in a better place. 
We're talking to Garrett Ballinger. Uh, he's the executive director of the Cardinal Institute for West Virginia Policy. They've just uh, come up with uh, the, probably the best school choice program in the United States uh, down there. I, I got to ask you though, Garrett. Uh, I, they like sports down there. They like football and basketball, especially in West Virginia. What if my son? Uh, what if I don't like my public school, but I want my son to play football? Oh, that's a good question. I, if I'm not mistaken, you're able to still do that. Uh, we, we've got a, a burgeoning uh, homeschool environment down here. I know there are several homeschool sports associations. Um, we passed a version of the Tebow bill, if, if you're familiar with the Tebow bill, wherein homeschool students are allowed to have access to public school sports. And if yeah. I'm not mistaken, don't quote me on this, I think you're able to, to also participate in public school sports. Now, what, what, if, um, what if, say, 15 parents got together, and let's say they, it's $4,600, let's round it off to 5000 what, what What if 15 parents got together and agreed to pay a teacher, maybe a teacher who's already employed, uh, $75,000 just to teach their 15 kids? So you had, you got fifth, the parents of 15 fifth graders, and you offered a, uh, a, a person who's an accredited teacher he said, "Listen, we want you to we want you to focus only on our 15 kids. This is the pro. This is the curriculum we want, and uh, we'll pay you 75,000 bucks. Could they use that money from the state for that?" John, you're you're thinking exactly in the terms that, that I hope people think of this. It's about being creative. Yes, you can absolutely do that. This is not simply a bill, or this is not simply a concept. This for kids. I really am hoping that this opens up a whole other employment opportunity for teachers. Um, mm-hmm. You know, let's go back to that chemistry teacher example. If you're, if you love that chemistry teacher, why shouldn't you be able to, to pay them directly for their service? Again, we can do this in just about every other aspect of our lives. Right. And it's unclear to me why we couldn't go ahead and do that in such a way. And matter of fact, I mean, well-off families have already been doing this for, for decades, Right. Really what school choice is about and what education freedom about is, is sort of equalizing, distributing access to opportunity across all socioeconomic classes. And so, yeah, if, you, if, you, if your neighborhood has access to a physics teacher and you want to make sure that your, your neighborhood uh, all get 35s on the ACT math portion, hire that physics teacher. Why not? I mean, let's be a little bit more kind of uh, open-minded about what education should look like in this country. So, um, and a teacher could um, may have a career without ever having to set in, set foot inside a uh, a public school building or a private school Absolutely. building. It could be could be done in someone's home, right? Yes, and this is how education was done for thousands of years, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. It wasn't always this sort of big institutionalized kind of thing. I mean, the passing down of stories and myths and. And all those sorts of things, that was education for a very long time. And there was a reason why it lasted for so long. So, yes, absolutely, that could be done as well. So it's not only an opportunity for students and families in West Virginia. It's an opportunity for everyone. And that's why our state is so excited about this. Now, I have to ask you, uh, where, where are the, uh, where's the union on all this? Uh, I know they don't like this. Oh, yeah, that's uh, – so it, it's been interesting. In 2018 and 2019 – West Virginia was really kind of the, we'll call it the testing grounds for the the strikes, the teacher strikes that were across many states in in the United States. We were the first one to go through that in 2018. 
our teachers went out on strike for about two weeks. Uh, they also went on strike for a few days in 2019. Really, last year was pretty quiet. And then, frankly, this year they didn't really have much to say. Um, so it was a little bit surprising that they didn't throw up, didn't put up a little bit more of a fight. Uh, but you can, but you know, they they were not fans of this idea in the least. And so who knows where this is going? I wouldn't be surprised if, if this ends up in court at some point in time, which would be unfortunate because you're keeping kids from getting an education. But uh, no, they're certainly not fans of any school choice prerogative. Well, what would the what would the challenge be? Is there any is there a constitutional issue with with uh, taking state money and giving it to individuals? Uh, I have learned over the last five years not to try to guess what the union strategy is going to be. Uh, It's often illogical or it doesn't make much sense. Um, So I don't frankly even know what the challenge would be centered around. Um, We just know usually the unions, whenever they sue over these types of um, these types of programs, their their record is not all that great. Uh, a couple other logistics questions. Uh, we're talking to uh, Garrett Ballinger. He's the uh, uh, executive director of the Cardinal Institute for West Virginia Policy. They've uh, come up with a great um, a school choice program down there. You know, everybody who's ever been to school knows that you have first grade, second grade, all the way up through 12th grade. And, um, you know, you, you take certain courses and then you move on to the next grade. If you and I and 10 or 12 other parents get together and decide to hire a teacher, uh, is it still under the same system? I mean, how, you know, it, it's, is it just the same things that are done in a school building just are transferred to your house or are there still grades? I, and I mean grades like first, second, and third grade. Are there still grades like A, B, C, D, E, F? Uh, how does it work? Yeah, so on the first part of that, I, I think kind of – it would be up to the families themselves if they wanted to have their first graders interacting with third graders because the first grader was reading at a third grade level. Absolutely, why not? I think it's I think it's a mistake to kind of classify children simply by age. I think that's kind of a lazy way of doing it. And it would be my hope that ESAs and Hope Scholarships would be able to break some of that status quo down. Now, as far as the actual grading systems themselves, there are there will be accountability measures in there. There will be certain uh, kind of nationalized assessments that will be required for HOPE scholarship recipients. So that way, that, you know, it is ensured that they are learning at a satisfactory level. Um, the, the program itself is going to be administered by the treasurer's office um, to make sure that we do not have any fraudulent activities going on or anything like that. So there will be certain safeguards put into place, certainly. Um, but again, it's going to be in a much more flexible and a much more child-centric way, which is why we're so excited about this. Hey, Garrett, I got one minute, and I'm going to get some hard break. I got to ask you this: uh, you're a, you're a West Virginia guy, and you're in, into politics down there. Joe Manchin's wife was just hired by Joe Biden to work in his administration. What the heck's going on there? What's Joe trying to do with that? Got a minute. Oh Less my minute. goodness! Yes, it, it, if I could, if I could pontificate on that level, it would be something else. But uh, I'll tell you, the, I'll tell you this: I've always been a huge component of moving the Appalachian Regional Commission, which is what Joe Manchin's wife was just appointed to, to somewhere in Appalachia. To me, there's no reason why it should be in D.C. Let's move that to Charleston, or let's move that to the Paris of Appalachia, Pittsburgh. 
Yeah. Okay, but Joe's up to something there. All he didn't all of a sudden become uh, enamored with the job that that uh, I mean, the, the Joe Biden. I mean, that Manchin's wife is doing there. He's 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 looking to influence Joe, the, the senator. Well, I I, yeah, hey. I, I think there's certainly some political calculus going on there. Um, and if you have a man with that sort of influence, as Senator Manchin does, given the current con- congressional composition, I think you look at creative ways to, to make him look more favorably o- upon your policy agenda. Hey, Garrett, congratulations on all the work you did uh, coming to fruition with the school choice. And uh, I hope to talk to you again. Thanks. Thank you, sir. OK, that's Garrett Ballengee. And we'll be right back. With NSRO News Business Brief, I'm Bob Agnew. COVID vaccinations are up, but so are new infection cases. China has announced sanctions on British individuals and organizations. Meanwhile, after the U.K. joined the EU and others in sanctioning Chinese officials accused of human rights abuses in the Xinjiang region. Britain's Foreign Secretary Dominic Raab says Britain will continue to sound the alarm over what's going on in that part of China. Apparently, the opening salvo in Beijing's latest full-bore response to criticism and sanctions from the West. The latest economic indicators pointing downward, though largely due to weather. Consumer spending was down in the latest report, but it was offset by some severe winter weather in parts of the country. A big surge on Wall Street near the closing bell took the Dow Jones Industrial higher by 453 points to close at 33,072. This is SRN News. This is good news, maybe exactly when you need it to. Right now, MediShare is waiving their new member fees. This could save you money on top of all that you'll save each month by becoming a member of MediShare. So many people are looking for a healthcare solution right now, seeing the cost of COBRA plans, for instance, and MediShare is the affordable alternative to health insurance. The typical family saves $500 a month. You might save even more. MediShare is a Christian community that shares each other's health care costs. And because of the current economic situation, they're making it easier than ever. Apply by March 31st. You can save an additional $170 on your first month. I'll give you the number here in a second. And if you call, you can get a price within two minutes. Just tell them the promo code SHARE to receive your additional savings. Maybe now is the time to make the switch like more than 400,000 people already have and start saving. Here it is. Call 844-45-BIBLE. That's 844-45-BIBLE. 844-45-BIBLE. Larry Elder sees people jumping to conclusions again. After this shooting, Kamala Harris's niece, who's a writer, and she tweets, my God, the shooter, white man, violent white men are the greatest terrorist threat to our country, end of quote. And then she had to delete it because this guy is Muslim. Now, do you guys care about the facts? Do you care about the numbers? Does it matter to you? The Larry Elder Show, weeknights at 7 on AM 1250. The answer. It's totally normal to be constipated with belly pain, straining and bloating again and again. No way. You could have a chronic condition called irritable bowel syndrome with constipation or IBSC. Linzess or linaclotide is a prescription that treats IBSC in adults. Linzess works differently than laxatives to help relieve belly pain and let you have more frequent and complete bowel movements. Individual results may vary. Do not give to children less than six.
products, and it should not be given to children 6 to less than 18. It may harm them. Do not take Linzess if you have a bowel blockage. Get immediate help if you develop unusual or severe stomach pain, especially with bloody or black stools. The most common side effect is diarrhea, sometimes severe. If it's severe, stop taking Linzess and call your doctor right away. Other side effects include gas, stomach area pain, and swelling. Talk to your doctor today. You may be able to save on Linzess and make fewer trips to the pharmacy. See if you're eligible to pay as little as $30 for 90 days. Visit Linzess.com or call 1-800-L-I-N-Z-E-S-S. Sponsored by Abbey and Ironwood Pharmaceuticals. Do you or your business have financial problems? Are you overwhelmed with debt? Then call me, Attorney Dennis Spire at 412-471-7675. My legal practice concentrates on bankruptcy law, debtor rights, and tax matters. I have over 30 years' experience as a former United States Department of Justice bankruptcy attorney and lawyer in private practice. I have represented thousands of cases faced with financial problems and lawsuits. Reorganize and get a fresh start. Call 412-471-7675 or visit my website at DennisSpira.com. AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The Answer. WPGP Pittsburgh. A division of Salem Media Group. Listen on the Answer mobile app. Smart speakers tune in iheart or radio.com stuck in traffic we've got the answer seeing a little improvement but still some delays though let's start with the parkway west on the inbound side looks like about a six minute delay green tree to the fort pit tunnel on the outbound side heavy into carnegie parkway easing its share of congestion on the inbound side slowing into the squirrel hill tunnel and grant street to the fort pit bridge Outbound, just minor delays into the tunnel. Outbound 65, slowing to the McKees-Rocks Bridge, about a five-minute delay. That's a look at traffic. I'm Jenny Robinson. AM 1250, The Answer. Weather. Good advisory remains in effect through this evening. For tonight, breezy this evening, a moonlit sky, low 45. It'll be mild tomorrow with a blend of sun and clouds. Tomorrow's high 70. Becoming cloudy and mild tomorrow night with a couple of showers late, low 56. Sunday, we'll see a bit of morning rain, otherwise mostly cloudy skies to wrap up the weekend. Windier and cooler with a high of 60. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm Drew Shannon. Warning, listening to this program may expose you to toxic masculinity. The John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250. The Answer. It's hard to believe that there are actually journalists out there saying that the big guy did a nice job on his first press conference yesterday. That's a pretty good indication that we're doomed, by the way. It was painful to watch, and the media added to the pain. Jeff McCall is a professor of communications at DePaul University uh, and a media critic for Fox News and The Hill. He joins us now. Jeff, thanks for coming on. Great to be with you. So, um... If you were grading the media for their performance, because uh, you are a professor, as I said, so if you were grading the media for their performance in uh, President Biden's first press conference yesterday, what would you give them? What kind of grade would they get? Oh, I think I'd probably go with a C minus, and that might be a little generous, but uh, they certainly underperformed, and uh, we're not going to put them on the dean's list based on what we saw yesterday. Yeah, uh, so you didn't flunk them, though. No, probably not. I mean, they did get to a few of the questions that probably needed to be asked, but uh, there were there wasn't a lot in the way of challenge. For example, uh, they totally skipped any questions about COVID vaccine rollouts or the COVID problems the nation still faces. Uh, I think that was a major error. Uh, I think they also made some other errors in that the media did not uh, fact challenge Joe Biden because, I mean, he made a couple of pretty big blunders in his discussion on immigration, for example. He talked about the fact that his administration was sending most of the migrants back, which 
you know, since we have found out is clearly not the case. Uh, he also talked about uh, that the rush to the border that's going on now is just a seasonal thing that happens all the time. And there's plenty of data to suggest that that's not the case either. Uh, and I also thought it was quite interesting that uh, when discussing his problems getting Republicans to support him in Congress, that he boldly said a couple different times that he had the support of Republican voters around the country. Uh, and I don't think you could support that necessarily based it's on eight, eight percent right now, see. Jeff. I think it's eight percent right yeah, now. But uh, he said that and nobody really challenged him on that. And, you know, here's the thing, I think, overall, in terms of looking at that press conference in retrospect, it strikes me that the media was really hesitant to challenge him and to take him on or to provide kind of close scrutiny. Uh, and my sense is perhaps that those reporters are afraid to really challenge the president and take him on. Because if they get too rough on him uh, and they prompt some sort of grand misstatement or, you know, major gaffe, um, that it won't look good. And they will have been responsible for creating a moment that could live in infamy. So I think that's one of the reasons they're taking it pretty easy on him is none of those reporters want to be that person who asks the question or challenges a Biden response and sends him off, you know, careening into a ravine or making something that is, you know, just a, a, a grand gaffe that would be repeated months in advance, you know, for, you know, from now on. And I think that is one of the reasons that they're so hesitant and they play it so close to the vest. Yeah. Uh, Chris Wallace said that in all his years in Washington, I think he's been there as he started covering Reagan. Uh, he's never seen a president have to refer to note cards to uh, to answer questions about foreign policy. Should him doing that have been a major part of the story if they were doing their job? Should should so, not necessarily during the press conference, but should should all the networks have played that up pretty big? Uh, that well, of his dependence on that kind of stuff. Right in the reporting after the press conference, uh, yeah. I think it, I think it would have been a fair approach to try to indicate that the president clearly was not spontaneous, uh, that he was trying to stay on a script that I'm sure was provided by his handlers. By the way, that, that's not particularly newsworthy. All presidents have advisors who try to coach him and mm -hmm. uh, guide him, any president, on how to approach the media. But in this case, it was pretty clear that this, this was uh, very highly scripted, uh, and the cheat sheets were pretty obvious. And, you know, all, all responsible politicians will go out to a press briefing with a binder or some notes or something to have available because who knows what the questions might be. And they could, you know, they could range far and wide and you might need some background check. But it's been remarkable though, to reflect back on yesterday's press conference and to so often see President Biden just literally with his eyes glued to the podium reading line for line what somebody had prepared for him. Uh, and so I think that should have been part of the story. Also, I think part of the story, as, look, as we look back uh, and in the post-press conference coverage, I think there should have been some, and again, not necessarily in a cruel fashion, but some sort of reporting about the disjointed responses that he gave that were rambling at times. Uh, and it really was hard to miss that there were times he was just having trouble you know, getting his answer spit out. And, you know, I, I don't think it's an unfair issue for people to question if the president is on the top of his game. And, and as you know, by watching it, and again, this is one of the things that's important is 
you know, the average American did not watch this yesterday. Right. The only the only thing they know about what happened at this press conference is what gets reported in the Washington Post or New York Times or Associated Press or maybe CNN or the CBS Evening News. Uh, and they did not see any scrutiny or any assessment of how coherent he was while at the podium. And there were several times when you, it was clear that he was having trouble figuring out what to do. And he even said things like, you know, I'm going to say something outrageous. Uh, and at one point he said something like, well, where do I go now? Uh, yeah. And I think, and not to mention that Jim Eagle comment that people are still trying to figure out what, what the heck is that supposed to be, Jim Eagle? Yeah. So I think that part of the story should be, uh, is the president at the top of his game and is he able to really to step in front of the press in an unscripted hour and manage himself? And given that most of the hour was not unscripted, that it was relatively scripted, and that most of the reporters, I think, were actually just teeing up issues that they knew were going to come. Uh, and he was then relying on canned responses uh, to try to put on a good show. It's a really good point you make there about most, you know, I don't know about how often you pay close attention to this. I have you on here because I think you do and you, you teach this stuff. So you're paying attention to what's going on in the media. I obviously have to pay attention to it. But the average person does not, and, and the, uh, the press conference was held at 1.15 in the afternoon, which made it even less likely that uh, lots of people were going to see it. And that, that speaks a lot to the, um, to the power of the media, doesn't it? Because it, it's the media who will decide, each individual outlet will decide what people will get from the press conference because they, it, they'll be the ones to decide which clips are used, which questions are used, and which aren't. It provides the press with a lot more discretion in what information to get out, given that most people are not looking at the event live. Because in an hour, uh, you know, the press conference lasted about an hour. Uh, you know, there was a lot of stuff talked about. But on the CBS Evening News, they're going to give that White House reporter maybe 90 seconds or, you know, a minute 45 and they're mm-hmm. going to cherry pick out the kinds of stuff that they want that supports the president generally. I mean, I don't think there's any question that most of the mainstream news outlets, or as I like to call it, the establishment media, they're going to be taking it pretty easy on the president. And in a sense, uh, they were walking on eggshells, I think, when they asked the questions. You, you know, the questions were uh, generally on topics that people want to talk about and are interested in hearing about. But only a couple of reporters really dared to follow up and challenge and you know, the guy from Bloomberg asked about gun control. Biden's answer was about infrastructure and building highways. Nothing and to do with this question. Yeah. Nobody like had the nerve to say, wait a second, you didn't answer that guy's question. And you can bet that a year ago at this time, if there had been a question of Trump, that he had totally ignored that the next reporter would have said, you didn't answer that guy's question and challenged yeah. him about that. Uh, and I must say, I think the fact that we had the press conference and there wasn't a lot of interrupting and finger pointing and stuff like that is probably good generally for the civility of the presidential rhetoric. Uh, but on the other hand, we can't have it be, you know, so easy and soft pedaled that there's no challenge. And so I think having a little more decorum is a good thing, but not having any challenges is not a good thing. Um, yeah, the Biden's demeanor and his ability to focus has, has become a major focus of uh, conservative media. They've had lots of fun with it. Uh, but he, he has he gotten a pass from everybody else? I mean, um, is uh, again, 
if you're not watching him live or if you're not watching Fox News or, or Newsmax um, or reading the New York Post or Washington Examiner, are you, are you even aware of what a bumbling idiot he looks like so often? Uh, my guess is that most um, Biden voters, Biden supporters, people who watch establishment media would not be fully aware of some of the disjointed answers uh, or rambling kind of approaches he has to some of these things. Um, now, on the one hand, you know, nobody wants to like beat him up uh, for having a memory lapse or something like that. Uh, but he is 78. And I think there has been, I think, reasonable questioning about his ability to manage the shop there. Um, and in, in, in whatever the answer to that is, one of the questions needs to be also, who is then helping manage the shop uh, mm-hmm. if it's not the president? And I think at a certain point, the American public kind of needs to know uh, how much he is engaged on a day-to-day basis. Uh, you know, there have been reports that Vice President Harris is actually making calls with international uh, leaders and that sort of thing. Uh, so I think it'd be interesting. And, you know, even on days like earlier this week, they put a lid on the White House press, you know, by roughly midday. And I thought, well, then the question is, well, what's the president doing the rest of the day? Uh, now, I'm, you know, maybe he needed some, you know, relaxation time or, or who knows what. But I think at a certain point, people do need to kind of know what his day-to-day routine is. Uh, is he really making the decisions? He started a cabinet meeting the other day with an introduction and then turned to his chief of staff and said, who am I supposed to hand this over to? Yeah. And I'm thinking yeah. that, that's that's kind of an indication that, uh, you know, we're not functioning at 100 percent efficiency there. Now, um, you mentioned that the, the press seems to be um, giving him a pass as far as um, um, focusing on his inability to his inability to focus and just him coming across as a guy not fit for the job um at what point are 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 they going to i mean we're only two months into this at what point are they going to just be forced to to notice this and to um play it up and and give it the kind of focus that it deserves for their viewers readers whatever listeners i mean how long can you cannot how long can you watch this without having it become the most important story of this presidency? Right. I, I think you raise a really good point there, John. But I must say, I think that the establishment media can play the long game on this. I, I think that that point could be way down the road, and it might take some sort of you know, uh, sad example or sad anecdote or something to prompt them to really look into this. Because when you get right down to it, uh, from the very start – of the Democratic presidential campaign, you know, which was going back well into 2019, uh, Biden hasn't been on his game in most of the debates. No. He did very few, you know, public displays, you know, and even when he was wasn't public doing his little town halls in Iowa and stuff, he was challenging people to push up contests and dog face pony soldiers and that sort of thing. So, I mean, in a sense, the media has been running cover for him and taking it pretty easy you know, for, you know, the, what, almost two years now, or maybe more, okay? And so I think they can play a long game, and it might take something extreme to ever get them off. Uh, and, you know, when you, also you think about the last week when he, you know, struggled on the steps getting up into Air Force One. 
my guess is there are a lot of news viewers around the country who probably never know that even happened. Uh, yep. And again, unless they're watching Fox News, perhaps, or the New York Post, or listening to your show, they probably don't even know that the president struggled to get up the steps. Okay, well, there are a lot of people who could struggle to get up the steps, but it should at least raise the question, what caused this? Is there anybody checking to see, you know, is, if his health is fine? Um, and, you know, it, it's just, um, let me tell you this. I'm sure that um, the nations around the world uh, who don't like us oh, are monitoring yeah. all of this very carefully. And mm-hmm. we talked about the fact that the average American would not have watched that entire hour news conference yesterday. But you can bet that the leaders of the Communist Party in China watched the entire things. And you can bet that the people in the Kremlin watched the entire thing and the leaders in Iran watched the entire thing. And they're making conclusions. Uh, they're making you know, judgments about what all this means. Uh, and the fact that the American people are not given the opportunity to see kind of the unvarnished truth and make their own judgments is a little troubling. I only have a minute left with uh, Jeff McCall. He's a communications professor at DePaul University, media critic at foxnews.com and The Hill. Um, last uh, minute or so here, Jeff, um, you mentioned at the top about the, the, the media's willingness to, or not willingness, but uh, reluctance to press him because they don't want to put him into a position uh, where he might say something uh, revealing or, or dumb. Isn't that exactly what they're supposed to do? Yeah, and it's interesting. You know, you you, you talk about the fact that um, I, my assertion is that the media is afraid of forcing Biden into a big mistake or something that would be remembered or become the moment, so to speak, in presidential press conference history. But you notice for four years, every time Trump met the press, all the reporters oh, yeah. were eager to try to create that moment. They were mm-hmm. you know, antagonizing him. Uh, challenging every fact he said, uh, trying to get under his skin because they were wanting to create the moment and launch themselves into publicity. You know, think of how much publicity Jim Acosta got for a couple of years just by being the main antagonist for Donald Trump. And that raised his profile around the country. uh, And, you know, he got a lot of accolades from the anti-Trump people out there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay, so but look at that. But Kind of in reverse, you would never see a reporter who would want to say, I'm the guy who asked the, re- the question of Joe Biden uh, that kind of revealed, uh, you know, that he was not on top of this policy or that he made some sort of statement that uh, really set his uh, administration on a downhill slide. They don't want to be that guy, but they wouldn't ha- they would be happy to be that guy to get Trump in a trap. Yep. Well, they're they're embarrassing themselves is what they're doing. Hey, Jeff, I, I, I give them an F, but I. I think you're an easy grader. I wish I would have had you in class. <laughs> hey, C-. great inflation is happening out there. I hope I'm not too much a part of it. <laughs> hey, Jeff, always good to have you on. Thank you. You're welcome. That's Jeff McCall, and we'll be right back. Swim trunks and milk. Whether you're on vacation or getting groceries, if you don't make a list, chances are you'll forget something. The same is true in retirement. If you want to make sure you haven't overlooked anything, Roy and Jason Locks at the Synergy Group can help. They have a checklist to help you find out if you're on the right track for retirement. Take the checklist challenge. If you can check all the boxes on the list with confidence, you may be ready for retirement. If not, the Synergy Group can help you address any potential costly mistakes. For the complimentary checklist, visit SynergyGroupInc.com slash checklist. See if you've got it right. Take the checklist challenge today at SynergyGroupInc.com slash checklist. That's SynergyGroupInc.com slash checklist. 
firm provides insurance services. Securities offered through J.W. Cole Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through J.W. Cole Advisors. J.W. Cole Financial and J.W. Cole Advisors are not affiliated with the Synergy Group, Inc. Investing involves risk, including the potential loss of principal. Tell me why Relief Factor is so successful in lowering or eliminating pain. I'm often asked that question. Pete and Seth Talbot, the father and son founders of Relief Factor, tell me they believe our bodies were designed to heal. The doctors who formulated Relief Factor selected the four best ingredients, 100% drug-free ingredients that each help your body deal with inflammation. Order the three-week quick start now. Discount it to only nineteen ninety-five to see if it will work for you too. Call 800 800- 500 8384 This Easter, meet the girl everyone is talking about. You saw God and then brought a dead bird back to life. No, I didn't. God didn't. Sir, do you think you can help me walk again? Did you say a prayer for me? The girl who believes in miracles. It's impossible. I thought he was never supposed to walk again. He wasn't. It was Sarah. Sometimes a little faith is all you need to change the world. Mom, it really was God. The girl who believes in miracles. From Mustard Seed Production. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggests in theaters Easter weekend. Hi, I'm Dr. Gordon Christensen. And if you're a dentist as I am, or you know a dentist, please take a moment to listen. When I became a dentist, I learned how quickly poor oral health can lead to other serious health problems. And for people without access to care, these problems can spiral very quickly. I wanted to help, but I wasn't sure how I could until I joined Dental Lifeline Network. It's a nonprofit that has helped us literally change the lives of people in our communities. DLN asked dentists to volunteer to see just one of the many patients in need in your area. It's very simple. DLN screens those in need and coordinates an initial appointment that takes place in the comfort of the dentist's own office and on their schedule. Right now, there's a wait list for patients in need in your community. I'm asking fellow dentists who will join me in seeing one patient per year. Learn more about Dental Lifeline Network at willyouc1.org. That's willyouc1.org. Do you or your business have financial problems? Are you overwhelmed with debt? Then call me, Attorney Dennis Spire at 412-471-7675. My legal practice concentrates on bankruptcy law, debtor rights, and tax matters. I have over 30 years' experience as a former United States Department of Justice bankruptcy attorney and lawyer in private practice. I have represented thousands of cases faced with financial problems and lawsuits. Reorganize and get a fresh start. Call 412-471-7675 or visit my website at DennisSpira.com. The John Steigerwall Show, AM 1250, The Answer. So finishing up the week, I just want to uh, jump in here with uh, we talked a little bit about, uh, well, actually quite a bit about Christy Noem and how I was disappointed in her backing down from her uh, stance on girls and uh, transgender athletes and uh, uh, by men playing against women or boys playing against girls in sports. Uh, I just want to say again, this this is the, the, the problem now. This is going to get uh, more and more coverage here as we go along, but um, they're they're expecting the government to fix this, and you, Joe Biden's not going to fix it. Christy Nome's not going to fix it. It's really simple. If you are a female, or if you're the coach of a female team, and your opponent shows up with a male on it, you say, "We are not playing until he is gone. We're not going on the field, rink, track, what at court, whatever it is. If there's a man or a male playing for." your team and that's the way it is it's been going on for a thousand years in sports if you had a if you had an under 12 baseball team 
and, and, a, and a team showed up with two 16-year-olds on it, the coach of the under-12 team would say, we're not playing against you. Get those two kids off the field. Simple. The government's not going to fix it. Girls need to stand up. And if, and if the girls and their coaches and their parents don't stand up, then there's no need to have any sympathy for them because they're just dumb for not doing it. I'll talk to you on Monday. The John Steigerwald Show is a production of the Answer Pittsburgh and Salem Media Group.